They say we only use a fraction of our brain's true potential. Now, that's when we're awake. When we're asleep, our mind can do almost anything. Such as? Well, imagine you're designing a building, right? You consciously create each aspect. But sometimes it feels like it's almost creating itself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah like I'm discovering it. Genuine inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in a dream, our mind continuously does this. We create and perceive our world simultaneously and our mind does this so well that we don't even know what's happening that allows us to get right in the middle of that process how by taking over the creating part now this is where i need you you create the world of the dream we bring the subject into that dream and they fill it with their subconscious how could i ever acquire enough detail to make them think that it's reality well dreams they feel real while we're in them right it's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Let me ask you a question. You never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? Well, we just came from the, uh... Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Where are you right now? Dreaming? You're actually in the middle of the workshop right now, sleeping. This is your first lesson in shared dreaming. Stay calm. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And for the second film in this new trilogy, we are talking Inception, the tentpole Chris Nolan film that is his follow-up to The Dark Knight. Um, I want to start off by telling you that I used to be a real jerk, Mike. And to some extent, I probably still am. <laughs> but I used to be that guy who just knew more than you about films and I took every opportunity to tell other people that, 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 that I knew more than them. And I remember the year that, I think it was actually 2008, uh, that, no, seven, No Country for Old Men came out. And I was all about No Country for Old Men. It is one of those rare films that I do believe I consider flawless. Like, it is, it, I, you would have to really push me to find a, a something negative to say about that film. And I just, that's the one film that did it for me. And, and actually, later in life, when I finally got around to Zodiac, I was like, oh, no, Zodiac. I'm all about Zodiac. <laughs> and it came out the same year. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, there will be blood. It, it was an embarrassment of riches that year. And I remember a uh, somebody who I met who eventually became a friend who I haven't spoken to in, you know, well over a decade at this point. But still, at that time, friend. Uh, she told me that she really liked hairspray, and I was like, "God damn it!" <laughs> A natural reaction, of course. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Javier Bardem was nominated, I think, Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. And I want to say that uh, so was John Travolta. I think he might have been nominated for the, the comedy section. I, it was something. Uh, anyways, I fully, you know, went uh, on the offensive and how John Travolta's terrible <laughs> and Hairspray terrible <laughs> and uh, No Country is amazing and it's a meditation on lawlessness and religion and all these wonder you know just throwing as many buzzwords at her as i can and she's such a trooper through it all she kind of let me have you know my little uh soapbox mm-hmm. moment, moment. Yeah. yeah so she says well i grew up kind of fat and she talked about how hairspray affected her when she watched it and what it meant to her and then it occurred to me i was like oh that's right i'm an asshole because I couldn't see past the fact that, like, well, this is such a, an objective mm. a consensus that this is the best film of the year and, and Hairspray is garbage. You know, every film means something to somebody else. And that was the first time that I really realized the toxicity of, of a fandom. And, you know, in the years since uh, with, with how active we are online, it's just you know exponentially it has gotten worse and inception was kind of like that i think it came out and it was very complicated and people the ones who didn't like it who felt like it was too complicated or too complicated uh, uh on purpose uh you know you have uh, rick and morty making fun of it you have south park making fun of it the dun 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 dun, dun all that you know the hans zimmer score what did hans zimmer do to anybody <laughs> well <You know>? don't <laughs> Don't say that in these times. Do not – don't throw down the challenge for something to come out in between us recording, editing, and releasing these. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to cover us right now. We might have to cancel Hans Zimmer. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I was that way too a little bit about Inception. I was like, well, it's not as great as everyone – the people who are claiming that it's amazing. In my last rewatch, uh, which actually, happy accident, we actually talked about this film after I had just seen it for uh, this new trilogy. I had a blast. I just had hmm. such a good time with it. Um, it was complicated, and uh, my wife, who uh, English is not her first language, there's a lot going on, and so I'm kind of having to pause every 15, 10 minutes just to kind of be like, all right, well, here's what's oh, happening. You, I mean... R- Nolan, Christopher Nolan, is just, there's been a disturbance (laughs) in the force. (laughs) That is not the way to consume his film, sir. You know, this may make for bad uh, podcasting material in that way, because my opinion really, well, other than I've never had uh, a fight uh, with someone over Hairspray, I've I've previously had held no opinion on Hairspray. I've not seen that film. I had no interest, and I didn't pick on people who (laughs) who had great enthusiasm for it. Inception is one that I was really high on when it released, you know, opening weekend. I was excited for it coming off the the dark night. Uh went to see it. Uh thought it was great. And then bought it probably as soon as it came out on Blu-ray. Never watched it. <laughs> like, yeah. Like it was one of like one of those things that I I think I let people borrow and I was like, "Oh yeah, you should check this out cuz my my disc it's open. I don't know when it we opened it up, but I have no recollection of ever revisiting it. So this was, other than some of the, you know the iconic moments that you've mentioned, that you know it's it shows how effective the film was at becoming part of pop culture, which is not for nothing now. Like um, we're we're kind of off the beaten path with this particular film. 
I just read an article today about the the old guard, which is oh, like yeah. Netflix. It's like latest big, you know, old fashioned studio blockbuster, whatever that means. And the Netflix model, it just means it was fucking expensive because yeah. they love nothing more than to set money on fire for for, <laughs> for what gain. I don't know because it seems like their uh, reality uh, love and sex shows seem to be what I I see people on social media talking yep. about more, not a Charlize Theron action movie. But whatever. Uh, it's that not it had about fallen. the money. It's about the message. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Getting it back to yeah, Nolan. All right, he's he's back to hitting that subscribe button after you offended him by pausing <laughs> his films. Um, but the article was saying like, hey, this already fell out of even Netflix its own metrics of whatever the top ten most watched things on its own service, and this is its oh, big wow. summer release, if that's what that means, and. It just sort of reinforced how hard it is. Like, I, I've not seen this Charlie Theron action movie. Uh, a lot of stuff that comes directly to streaming, since it's available to me at any time, it's sort of diminished in value to me. I can just set it aside with everything else I have on my shelf or a digital copy of. But I don't think that I'm, I've got a particular hot take that if I, if I place a large bet that the old guard is not going to have iconic enough moments for South Park to make fun of. I don't I don't think that's me going out of bounds there. So that's me saying that it had been a while and boy did this feel it felt like from a completely different era to me. And it, I had this experience in the last uh month twice. Once for Inception and on another podcast I do called Marcus Played, uh we uh revisited Saving Private Ryan, which is another film for very different reasons. I don't watch that often because it's heavy material. It's you know, it's about war and the, the violence. Same thing though. I was like, oh this is what happens when you have a genuine above the title filmmaker where it's no matter who the actors are, it's a Steven Spielberg film, it's a Christopher Nolan film, you just let them go wild yeah. and produce top notch, professionally made, heavy, full course meals, but also extremely entertaining. I don't mean to be dismissive of Saving Private Ryan, but it is also a very entertaining war movie. Like, yeah. hang out with those particular men, those characters, and how they grapple with the, the quest they're on. Inception, also same thing. Like, I don't know if rewatchability is such an important metric, but it felt like, <laughs> it felt like a Inception to me is like closer to, you know, like being in the mold of like Ben-Hur or something like that than it is to the old guard. And it's not that far off. We're just 10 years removed, <laughs> and this feels so decidedly different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was very impressed. I was shocked because I thought, like, oh, yeah, I remember liking that, but it's probably something that I'll make fun of now. Not at all. I went the other way. I, th I thought it was glorious. Same. And, you know, uh, Chris Nolan, he's very idiosyncratic. He he likes the theatrical experience. Quentin's kind of the same way. Uh, won't shoot on digital at all and so it was really funny to see the behind the scenes stuff in sin city where rodriguez is like come on man just do it just do it for a little bit and he does pushy yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and we forget with with this when we see kind of these negative personality traits coming out where it's like well no my film's not going to come out this year at all if it's not going to be played and i'm not going to have it streaming or anything it's it's going to get the theatrical release and all that good stuff. And we forget that, wow, what a powerful filmmaker he really is. So, And again, we're not <laughs> we're not making any new discoveries here saying that Chris Nolan's a good filmmaker. But it's always fun to see because ultimately Inception can be taken as just a very entertaining film. And then you can really dig into it. Uh, there's 
so many Easter eggs. And I was like kind of looking this up afterwards uh, because sometimes someone can put a YouTube video together that explains a plot just way better than I can uh, with my wife sometimes. So we did that with Source Code where we both ended the movie. We're like, we kind of know what happened, but let's let's take, let's look online. And we <laughs> let's, and, go, let's go to YouTube. We just yeah. lost Christopher Nolan again. Jesus. <laughs> um, and so there's a lot going on. With like Zimmer's score is like a slowed down version of um, uh, uh, Nanje New Regret Rien that the song that they use uh, as the kick, mm-hmm. um, and, and so like and so with each successive dream level he's stretching out the notes and so it's like that's an Easter egg. Marion Cotillard's character Maul is bad for in how many different languages? Uh, the editing. Oh, she's like you can just look at her. Uh, that is the that is the femme fatale of this film. Oh, like that is absolutely. Uh, but I'm not knocking uh, DiCaprio's character of cop here for having her in his dreams. All, no, no, all the time. not at all. Not, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> those are scary <laughs> dreams I'm willing to have over and over again. these easter eggs ultimately add up to maybe not much individually but it goes to show that the guy is really willing to put so much effort into even the tiniest detail and and it's it's very refreshing so when you do see a nolan film when you do see a spielberg film or or i mean like you know i i don't want to put these guys in the same meticulousness as a kubrick but like you know you're seeing something special absolutely what do you think about the, and I'm sure you've heard of it, that the entire film is a metaphor for filmmaking. Uh, Cobb, who is kind of a dead ringer in, in his suit sometimes, uh, for, for Chris Nolan, he's the director. Which is being repeated, by the way, with uh, Robert Pattinson and Tenet. I've seen that same oh, really? accusation. Yes! That's like, uh, the, the, the haircut and, you know, the yeah. look. Uh, I don't I, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, uh, it's much more blue collar that way where I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, Kevin Smith said it best. He's like, if I'm going <laughs> to max out my credit cards, I want to see my mug on the screen. <laughs> and Christopher Nolan just has a bigger budget to work with. You know, he can get Warner Brothers to max it out and he can get a better looking individual to play him every time. That's I totally get it. I totally understand it. The movie metaphor. Do you, do you think it's legitimate? Like, have you looked into this? No, um, I'm actually like opposed to such things uh really which is is strange like because I, I i really got big into to lost when it was airing and uh i don't know why like so when you were talking about that like you know the meticulous nature of like what these the numbers mean all that it's funny like i don't feel like if it was serialized storytelling that people would walk away and be like ah oh, what a bunch of hooey <laughs> like <laughs> now if it betrays them, if the finale doesn't give them what they want, then certainly people will rise up against 
Game of Thrones lost anything that has been disappointing. Uh, but as far as the ride, I don't think they look at the the people making those uh, stories uh, the, for filmed entertainment and be like, aren't you really just like wasting your energy on all this nonsense? Like <laughs> just have Jack and Kate kiss already. Like I don't, <laughs> but there is something, and I guess it's with Nolan's reputation and you, you invoke that name the, of Kubrick. Yeah. Where it's like people, they, even this, even this, the, the pandemic, which, it's, it's thrown the whole world out of whack, and in particular the U.S. because we have incompetent madmen <laughs> running uh, mm-hmm. the, the country. Why why would we discredit someone for being that enthusiastic about their craft yeah. that they are giving to the public to consume? Like there was a film with Michael Fassbender that I was supposed to be on uh, the True Bromance Film Podcast. I was supposed to be the guest that week. It was uh, The Snowman, I think, like some, like a serial killer thing. Yep. And I remember the week that it came out, <laughs> there's articles where the filmmaker was like, yeah, we just ran out of money. We couldn't film like 20 pages of the script. So there's some pretty big plot holes. And I lost my shit. I was like, I am not contributing to this. Like they had a job to do. <laughs> <laughs> get someone in there, pay them 10 bucks an hour and they'll do their job. And you're just telling me I couldn't be bothered to get around to it. I, I'm just saying Christopher Nolan, that just wouldn't happen. Yeah. First off, you can't, you know, you, no. if you got time to lean, you got time to clean his little <laughs> chairs on set. <laughs> All of that. You got Anne Hathaway, his cat woman with a broom, you know, when she's not giving her line, her sides. Um, so, I, I don't look into that stuff really like the, the sort of Easter eggs, but certainly if you're going to make a movie about movie making, this is far more palatable to me than someone that's just like, well, another really stressed out screenwriter and he's got, you know, multiple loves in his life, but no one will make his dream project, all of that nonsense. So you fill me in on, so you've read up on this. I'm, but I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I'm not dismissing it outright because to me, Nolan made a really cool spy movie with DiCaprio and Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing really cool, uh, you know, hallway fight sequences and, uh, you have guns, you have the femme fatale that I like all that stuff works. So I don't really need the rest, but get, go ahead. Get, let me hear your expertise on how this is so much better than Hairspray. <laughs> Actually, I did see a um, a community production of Hairspray a few years ago and thought it was delightful. So Was it slutty enough? <laughs> not quite. Not quite. No. <laughs> of course Def- not. Definitely not. Never, it never is. Oh, oh, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned even spy movie because Nolan is very – he loves the uh, – on, on, I think on Her Majesty's Secret Service – uh, and that mm-hmm. entire last uh, dream level before Limbo is an homage to that. Ames, um, Tom Hardy's character, plays the character very much as like a James Bond type. And that's why he's shown as he's gambling. So Cobb is apparently the writer-director, the one who kind of orchestrates the film. He's head of the team. Arthur, Joseph Gordon, love it. He's the producer. He kind of gets what needs to be My done. My favorite character. He's great. Middle management who's got to like make all this crazy shit happen for this egomaniac (laughs) who's going to get them all killed. I I love Arthur. I love the way Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays it. Yeah, that's my man right there. Even even the little thing that he kind of sneaks in. I I wonder who – like the kissing um, Ariadne just to see if that would have worked. Just little touches like that because in a film like this, not that the character development is – 
is lacking because I think Cobb is well developed and and Maul is as well. But you know, not everybody gets a chance to shine. It's those little moments that he adds that really, really um, make you feel for him. Uh, you've got Seto Ken Watanabe, who uh, he's a good actor, but I'm sorry, man, just just you Uh-oh. need to. <laughs> It's just very hard to understand his English. <laughs> and so, I, you know. Well, especially uh, when he's in old man makeup. Oh, my gosh. On death's door. Um, I'm with you there, Webb. I actually, you know, as much as I've told you that you're off uh, Christopher Nolan's list uh, of podcasts he supports, I did have to throw on the subtitles during that first, <laughs> the first sequence because it's, you know. There's a lot going on there, and it look the guy has been in dream hellscape for centuries, so I understand, but I still want to know what he says because I respect the story being told here. Same, and again, he is a very good actor, but I do wish that maybe he just spoke in Japanese, and and we all just kind of dealt with it, um, or just <laughs> we all just dealt with it. <laughs> What I mean, what I meant by that is that everyone else just understands him, and we all just agreed that we move, and and that's where it's the only bit of thing that you know. Uh, this recent rewatch, I was just kind of like, man, I guess that's the one thing maybe I would change. Um, he's the executive producer, the financier of mm-hmm. of of the group, uh, the art director Ariadne, who is kind of putting together uh, his mazes, and uh, she is the one who is filling the world, uh, bringing it to life. Uh, Ames is the actor, Tom Hardy, because he's essentially the the one in camouflage the whole time. He's bringing that character to life, uh, the Tom Berenger's character, I believe. I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, too. So it kind of goes to show that Nolan is doing kind of something that he wants to do but at the same time he's giving you that spoon full of sugar that makes the medicine go down Isn't that what we expected from like major filmmakers that are going to operate on these huge budgets that can still make personal films? Like, you know, I mentioned Saving Private Ryan, but it's like now for the most part, so either, either or like, well, this has a limited audience here, but like, you know, that's why like once upon a time in Hollywood, it was, I, I'm amazed that Tarantino even got a hundred million dollars from Sony Seriously. to do that. Cause that is such I mean, all of his films are so personal where it's like, all right, we're going to enter QT's mind for two and a half hours and you're, you're with him or against him. And he's somehow made a career where everyone has been with his idiosyncratic tendencies for, you know, his, his foot fetish or his weird <laughs> movies or music, you know, from the sixties, his surf rock, anything that no one else really likes, but we all just kind of go along with it. Cause he's, 
he's enthusiastic enough that he can sell us on his ideas. And I think that's what Nolan's doing with Inception. Cause I, I'm pretty damn skippy. Like for this to be as financially successful as it was, there had to be a lot of people that came out. Oh yeah. Kind of like what you were saying earlier and being like, well, I don't really know everything that happened there. Like with source code, like, which was not as successful, uh, of course, as Inception, but like you can get a general, like, I enjoyed that, but I really know, like, could I, could I explain it? Could I do the Wikipedia entry? I could not do the Wikipedia entry for Inception, but I, I don't fault the film for it. Like it's, it's enough. I, you get, you, the rules in place. So you're talking about like having all of the different players uh, doing their functions it's just in service of making the audience comfortable enough with the basic beats of the story that you want to tell them. And for me, it's, it's Cobb and Maul. It's that if you can just, the the rest of it is just dressing. I mean, it's very fancy dressing. It's very, it's certainly become very iconic in the last 10 years, but it just still comes back to those two characters and the mistakes that were made with, you know, to use that analogy with those two artists in particular, it's brutally dark. <laughs> this is about a man who is stunting his partner, this woman's creativity for her own good. Right. Which leads to her death, <laughs> her death and his uh, expulsion from his, his family and his home. And the rest of it is spy games with Tom Hardy, which, <laughs> you know, you can sell that in the trailers. Beyond just her death though, it leads to her madness. Which leads to her death, which is even more kind of horrifying. And that's where that's what really hit me this viewing is while all the fun and games you're going, you write the spy movie, the infiltration, and then ultimately the action attack on that final level. It's really the relationship between Cobb and Maul, you're absolutely right. And that I think is really, really well developed and it's so heartbreaking and I'm thrilled that the two actors were able to kind of go back and forth. The reveal, the reveal that he's the one that, uh, you know, that he's he knew Inception could work and that we have no idea how it would take on a life of its own. It really hit me hard this time. Uh, and, and a lot of people complain that this is not a very personal film or it's not dramatic enough and it's mostly just kind of an action thriller. And it's really not. Another great example is Cillian Murphy's character, who, since the viewing number one, I he's for me, I think he is my favorite character, and he does such a good job. And I often, I often feel very wistful about an alternate universe where he did get to be Batman because he was the front runner. Howard, so, you and I, uh, this is why we are are meant to be together ultimately. Because <laughs> uh, I had the same thought. I'm like, I wonder what his, as you were talking, I was like, I wonder what his Batman would have been like. Yep. I think it would have been pretty cool. I mean, different, but me it would have been cool. Me too. Cast Christian Bale as the Scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, um, he, the reveal with with and you know what's what's great is Ames, Tom Hardy's character, and how even he is on the edge of his seat because he's ultimately kind of creating the story on the fly to incept in, into Cillian Murphy's character as to like how he's going to make him uh, dissolve the company. And he's on the edge of his seat, just like we are. And as soon as that safe or, or whatever, whatever the, the little drawer is that opens and it's the pinwheel and Cillian Murphy just has that like emotional, very profound realization. And I was the same way. I was on the edge of my seat. So while you've got a really wonderful 
back and forth between Cobb and Maul and their horrible tragedy. You've got Cillian Murphy's. Well, I, you know, what's what's really the 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 fly in the ointment is that powerful realization is ultimately orchestrated by these people. He would never have had it, and maybe that's a gift to them. Maybe you know, I. That's I, also I, the audience, uh, yeah. us consumers of film, like a lot of. Our inspiration, or uh, you know, person, even personality traits, and it may not, you know, because obviously what Inception has taught us is it's pretty fucking hard <laughs> to put that idea in people's head to have lasting change. But there's certainly characters and archetypes that we've come in contact with, uh, good or bad, uh, in this this art form that we aspire to be like that, like that guy. And probably my biggest takeaway from it that I didn't really remember was. Even though DiCaprio certainly has the movie star part, it's his quest. And for him, you know, <laughs> like a trailer moment, this time it's personal. You know, and everyone else is like, boy, when his ex-wife comes back, that's really going to fuck us up. Like, I really wish he could get over that. But it's not a movie star part in that the things that he accomplishes are that heroic. Like, he, he does get that one last heroic bit where he won't leave the last man behind. Like he won't condemn, condemn him to this like purgatory of constant dreaming. But to what you were saying, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Tom Hardy, they're far more the cool heroic characters who do their job. <laughs> they don't make mistakes. And, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets that fucking fantastic fight sequence in the hallway. I, I'm trying to imagine like, you know, our Redford taking that type of role. Like, you know, going back to something like Three Days of the Condor, right? He he walks in on a mess, but for the most part, it's like how he will get out of it. Or like a better example would be like what Tom Cruise did to the Mission Impossible series. That is not a series at all about collaboration. It is no. All the other characters. <laughs> in fact, in the first one, they kill off the team and leave Tom Cruise alone <laughs> to handle it. Everyone else is just in service to his his money shots, his action shots. This maybe going back to like you saying this being a a movie about making films is that everyone is equally important to crafting this this sort of lasting legacy, and that that's probably what I like about it as a spy movie as opposed to something like the Mission Impossible series is that Tom Hardy, uh, even little Juno here, I mean she's and she's the one that keeps trying to like you know ring the bells like I think you're. I think you're going to get us killed. <laughs> like, yeah. Think, Leo, like, you know, you need to, basically you need to talk to someone. You need to open up to your collaborators here. So it's interesting that you, you touched on something that has been an accusation lobbed at Nolan, pretty much all of his work. That it's like, he's not allowing the audience in to, to him. That it's like so cold and distant and like, he doesn't make personal films, but you know, maybe this one is the most personal. I, I don't know if, <laughs> The scarecrow attacks Gotham. <laughs> could be considered <laughs> personal, uh, but maybe if Christian Bale played Scarecrow, then it would have been. There you go. Maybe that would have been the personal version. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird to me because one of the things that I I always recall when directors are attacked for uh, not making personal films or when maybe they refuse to talk about it is David Lynch and somebody. I uh, uh, was talking to him, I think about Lost Highway, and he's like, hey, can you talk about this? Or can you describe, uh, explain this? And he's like, no. He's like, it's all there. <laughs> it's all there on the screen for you. And so 
as much as you and I love the director's commentaries and behind the scenes, ultimately the work, whatever the director wants to say is up there and it's up to you to kind of interpret it. It's ultimate. And I know, I know, I know it's money. It's a business. It's all about making money and making your money back. Um, but I'd like to think that the real creative types like, like Nolan, like, um, the link leaders who you know, James Gray, how the guy can't make a successful movie to save his life. <laughs> and even when he gets Brad Pitt, <laughs> yeah, Brad Pitt in space, <laughs> not going to work. America says no <laughs> Brad Pitt, uh, taking on the Manson family. Oh yes. Yeah. We're there. Brad Pitt in space. Absolutely not. <laughs> it, like, you keep giving him money. And, and I guess the goal is to, as Kevin Smith once said, it's like, just make the money back so they give you a little bit more to do it again and to, to make something that will hopefully be a reflection of some aspect of yourself. And so that's kind of what Inception is. So as much as people like to hate on it and almost dismiss it because I think Nolan's filmography is very impressive, even if, even if you don't understand all of Interstellar or you just love the Batman stuff or you're one of those people who's like, oh, you, you know, the, the following is really is his best work. You know, there, there are people who gravitate towards a section of his uh, work and, and, even if Inception kind of gets lost in the mix, which is so, it, it's mind bending. It really is. Uh, I don't think you can deny kind of the artistry here, even though it's it's covered in in like a very very rich candy coating. I mean, they can always just watch the old guard on Netflix instead. <laughs> <laughs> Seventy three million people watched it for two minutes. <laughs> right, a new hit on Netflix.